Good morning, Pittsburgh Church. It's, uh, it's incredible to be here, and it seems so surreal. Uh, tomorrow's right. When we first uh, came here in 1994, uh, the church was uh, just these two rows here. And even though two rows weren't filled, uh, because some of us were serving in kids' kingdom, and we didn't even have a nice facility like this. When we, uh, we met um, uh, by the Sheraton, and what do they call that on the south side? Station Square. Uh, we met at the Sheraton at Station Square, and the space that we had only could fit just, uh, probably about 30 people in it. And so we had King's Kingdom outside, uh, just a hair's breadth away from the train tracks. Uh, I mean, that was before they figured out all the legal things about Kids' Kingdom. Um, and so I served in that. Um, so it's, uh, we were baptized tomorrow night, 1993, uh, in the church in Philadelphia, uh, within a month of each other. And uh, we didn't know each other, but we were called about a year and a half later to come to Pittsburgh. And uh, most of the mission team, there was 15 members, uh, and six of them were single women, and four of them were single men. And, uh, you know, we uh, packed up a, a big truck. I remember in Philadelphia, because the bulk of us came from Philadelphia. Uh, Mary Beth came from Chicago. And uh, we, we, we sort of uh, went around town and, and, and packed up the truck and drove across uh, 76 together and then unpacked each other. Uh, the sisters had two households in, in uh, Squirrel Hill, and the brothers lived on South Aiken Avenue in Shadyside. And it was the four brothers. And so... Uh, we were here. We served in that ministry for uh, six years, but I remember those early days. Uh, we were with Anthony, Mark, and uh, Tirik Tirika yesterday, uh, just talking about singles ministry stuff. And uh, they asked us, you know, what were the early days like? And I remember getting up in the morning, and we'd meet by the cannons by the Soldiers and Sailors, Sailors Museum, or Memorial, rather, um, right around 8.30 for a prayer and devotional, and then we would share our faith until lunchtime. And then we would come back, and then we would have lunch together, and those who had interviews would go to job interviews or whatever, because some of us didn't have jobs. And then we would, those who were left, we would share our faith until dinner time. And then we would have dinner together, and then we, after, after dinner, we would share our faith until like 9 o'clock at night. And then we had nightly devotionals in the, 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 the evangelist's house at that time to be able to report the good news and also comfort each other from the challenging things that we experienced in sharing our faith. And that went on. Those were the early days. That's what we did. And I remember we had one of those devotionals and we all committed to uh, three things. We committed to being faithful to God no matter what. We committed to uh, being there for each other and not letting each other fall away. And we committed to building this church. And now those were the early days. And then, you know, we served in the, in the ministry for, here for about six years. Uh, Tamar and I then went off to back to Philadelphia to serve in the ministry. Uh, served there for six years. Went to New England. Served in uh, Connecticut for about five years. And then after that, moved to uh, Arizona. Served in, the, in the, uh, the Phoenix Church for almost 10 years. And now we're in Northern Virginia. And it's been about 17 years since I've been back in Pittsburgh. And you guys are an incredibly beautiful sight. Because there's so many new people. There's so many new people. There's so many people that I don't know. And just to think about those early days and what God has done through His Spirit to be able to bring this collection of people together moves our hearts. You know, as we drove through the streets of Pittsburgh, it was amazing as we came in on Friday night, we drove the, the long way, we went through Squirrel Hill, 
and uh, went up Murray Avenue because that's where my bike shop was. And of course, there used to be an Eaton Park there that we would always frequent, and that's no longer there. Um, and, you know, we drove down uh, Shady Avenue, down to Fifth Avenue, and I drove by my old, the last single brother's household that I lived at on Fifth Avenue, close to South Aiken Avenue. And uh, I drove through the streets and uh, went on Walnut Street, and uh, I lived on House Street, was the second household that I, that I lived in. And uh, Tamar and I, when we first got married here in Pittsburgh, we lived on Kentucky Avenue. And then we went down into um, uh, Wilkinsburg and all these different places. And I could think about all the fun things that we did. But the thing that I thought about the most, two things, was I said to the Bible with someone in that building, 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 in that building. Oh, that building. I studied in that field. I studied in that field. And then I thought about, oh, I used to pray there. I used to pray there, I used to pray here, and I used to pray here. And it was amazing um, just to be able to think about that time, you know, walking through the streets of Pittsburgh praying. Today I want to talk about the power of prayer. We're going to continue our study from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we can pick up and you can be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 5. We're not going to jump in there just yet. Um, but prayer, as Tamara mentioned, has been such a, was such an integral part of building the Pittsburgh church. And in prayer, we have this incredible privilege to be able to talk to God, the creator of the universe, the one who knows you like no one else knows you, the, th- the one who knows what's going on in your heart and mind to this very second. Through prayer, we can receive mercy and grace in the time of our need. We have access to the Father who can speak things into being. Through prayer, we can find peace and guard our heart, hearts. And, you know, psychology today, you can do all these kinds of studies that, uh, uh, you know, the study of God is a hard thing to prove. But science is showing that prayer has an effect on us physiologically. It helps us to be calmer. It literally lowers your heart rate. It helps you to be able to deal with stress. It helps you to be able to be at peace in situations where you have no business having peace. But our privilege assumes that God will hear and respond to our prayers. But God doesn't actually accept all prayers. That might be challenging for us to hear. He hears all prayers, but he doesn't accept all prayers. Proverbs 28, verse 9 says, If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. You know, God doesn't hear the prayers of all people. In Isaiah 59, it says, you know what? Because of our sin, he will turn our ears away. Jesus described the prayer of one man who did not, whose prayer didn't please the God, please God in the, in the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee was self-righteous in his prayer. And therefore, he didn't leave justified before God. So then as we talk about the the, the awesomeness of prayer, how do we know what kind of prayer is pleasing to God? Well, we get insights from Matthew chapter 6 from Jesus himself. And let's read here together in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to pray, standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And we will also be forgiven our debt. We, oh, we will also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their, sin, uh, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's stop there. There's a lot to glean in here, and I'm not going to cover everything. I highly recommend you bookmark this and go back and study this out on your own. But of course, this is a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, Jesus introduces it in, Math, in, in, in chapter 5. And then there's a key verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, where he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. And then everything that he talks about after that is, is this, this is what it looks like for your righteousness to surpass that of the Pharisees. And of course, he talks about oaths, he talks about forgiveness, he talks about murder, he talks about adultery, he talks about all these things. Sometimes we can get tripped up about that and we're like, oh my gosh, the Pharisees, you know, they had the, the, the law and they had to do these 613 things every single day. Do I have to do that? No, no, no. Jesus, the way he taught, he said not a letter of the law will go, will go away. He came to illuminate what God had always intended for his people. And so if you want to know how to be righteous in prayer, this is what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And the first thing he covers is how not to pray. Sometimes it's just good to know what not to do, right? Before you can understand what to do. And what does he say about not to do? He says, do not be like the hypocrites. The actors. The ones who are pretending. Don't do it to be seen by people. Of course, he's talking about the Pharisees more specifically in this. The religious. But, you know, I, we've all sort of been around people who have these high and mighty prayers. And I'm not going to try to recite them. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what your words are. It's what's the intent in your heart. Is it to be shown that, see, I'm spiritual, I'm mature. Or is it, or is it, and is it to be seen by people? Now, Jesus here is not condemning public prayer. We know that he did. He prayed in public in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. You can go look there. John 11, verse 41. He prayed publicly. So it's not an issue of never pray publicly or never pray with people. It's idea of why are you doing it? That's the first thing that he puts out there. But then how should we pray? Number one is to be seen by God and not by men. You know, the sincere, humble 
worshiper of God is not trying to justify themselves before men. They're just trying to be seen and heard by God. They'll find a private place to be able to meet with God. They'll find that place where it's just them and God, and they're going to work it out with God. And that is their regular habit. How should we pray to be heard by God? We've got to avoid vain repetitions. He says this idea of repeating things over and over and over again. You know, Paul talks about his thorn in his side. He says, I prayed three times for God to, to, to take it away. And then he moved on. Sometimes it trips us up. Well, what does it mean to be persistent in prayer? Wait, I don't know. Study that out on your own. But the, the challenge is, is not to, to, to just be babbling on in your prayer. You want to be heard by God. Simplicity is best. You know, um, uh, Steve Jobs said, you know, the goal of Apple is to make something that is complex simple. That is so hard to do. And sometimes we can live with a very, very complicated faith. What about this? What about dating? What about this? What about, you know, women's roles? What about, what about... Are you praying? You know, one of the things about being in Phoenix that was really cool is uh, we lived in Scottsdale, which is right next to uh, Phoenix. And Phoenix is, uh, in, with spring baseball, spring baseball is happening in Phoenix right now, and of course in Florida. In Florida, it's, I think, the Orange League, or the, I don't remember what it's called, but anyway, in Phoenix, spring baseball is called the Cactus League. And uh, where we lived was only about a mile away from where the San Francisco Giants would practice. And uh, what was interesting is that uh, there, there were parks that we would go near that were right next to their practice fields. And so one of my sons was uh, taking tennis, and I remember dropping him off. And the Giants were in the field uh, getting ready for spring training. And what they would do is they would just they would take a lot of time and just stretch. First of all, a modern-day a baseball player looks a lot like a modern day football player. These dudes are huge. Then they would just stretch. And then after that, they would just toss the ball back and forth to each other for like seemingly forever. And what's the principle? Is like you're never going to win this you're never going to win the World Series if you can't do the basic things. You know, sometimes we want to do, we want to see God do great things. But if you don't do the basic thing of prayer in your life, are you really, you know, are you really preparing yourself for great things to happen? You know, we've got to be able to pray to be heard by God and not by men and keep it simple. And then we've got to follow the pattern set by Jesus. You know, in the content of its prayer, of course, it's reverence for God's name. Hallowed be your name. I revere God in my prayer. We pray for the progress of God's kingdom and his will be done on earth. Last year, our theme in the, in the Northern Virginia church was kingdom come. And just the whole church focusing on God's will, not our will. God's will, not our will. God's will, not our will. Asking for your physical needs and necessities to be met. Food, shelter, clothing. You don't need an Xbox. Though sometimes you think you might need an Xbox. You don't need a new car. You don't even need a new job. 
You certainly don't need a new spouse. Sometimes we can feel, I certainly don't need new kids. Sometimes we feel like, man, I'll trade these kids in. Hey, we've all felt that way. I love my kids. You know, we, uh, Tamara and I left here, you know, in 2000, you know, just ourselves. And uh, with God's help, he helped us to be able to make human beings. And so we brought those two back with us. And, you know, it's amazing. But, you know, also our spiritual needs. You know, one of the things I've been praying for, and I've been praying this for a long time now, is God, help me to see you as you want me to see you. Help me to understand you as you want me to understand you. Because we've all had that experience where someone has an impression of us that's wrong. It never feels good. But yet we want to come up with our own version of what God is like. Rather than being concerned about what is, how does God want us to see him? We got to forgive sins. Not, just our, ask, not, not only ask for our own forgiveness, but forgive for the ways that we've been sinned against. And this is a challenging one because in the church, it's easy. Our, our church's history, we've been split over things like whether or not to have kitchens in the church, whether or not to have instruments, all these different things about practices. Right now, we're sort of addressing women's roles. I'm wondering whether or not this is going to be something that's going to split us because it's all about our preference. We live in a country where, I don't know if, you, if you're old enough, you remember uh, Burger King's you know, commercial, you could have it your way at Burger King. You don't want onions on your burger. You don't have to have onions on your burger, right? But if we don't pray for God's will, then that's what we devolve into. We pray for protection and deliverance from evil. And we praise God. And we do this all with a merciful spirit. This idea, I am willing to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. In this part of the, in this part of the verses, when he's talking, he says, if you forgive, he, it's the part that he elaborates on the most. This issue of forgiveness. Why? We live in a culture where it's always about whose fault it is. I remember uh, uh, this, this, I think it was this year, um, the first snow that happened in northern Virginia was a lot more than they expected. And, uh, and you, I think you heard about this, 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 people were literally trapped on 95 overnight. And, and that was like right near our house. That was right near where we live. And in my mind, you know, as American, I was like, how does this happen? We live in America, for goodness sakes. We've put people on the moon. People are trapped in the car. Whose fault is it? And the governor who's on his way out was apologizing and all this other stuff. But, you know, we're in the shadow of D.C. where it's always about someone's fault. You know, I thought it was going to be a sunny day today and it rained. Whose fault is it? We could be like that. It was funny with the second snow. Boy, they were out a day and a half early salting the, salting the roads. The governor was not going to make that mistake again. We've got to have mercy and forgive each other. Not just tolerate each other. Not just gather people around us who 
have our same opinion. The beauty of the kingdom is that two people from vastly different experiences can love each other deeply. And our tendency is to want to gather people around us that are like us. And the power of the kingdom of God is distilled because of our choices. I want to share about three prayers here in Pittsburgh that changed my life. I remember my roommate, Doug Sal and I, uh, we, were, we used to, we, we had an apartment, our first apartment um, on, a, on our, our second apartment, actually, when we lived on Howe Street. We didn't have a, a laundry in the facilities, and so we would have to go over to near CMU, and we would do laundry over there. And we met two students at CMU um, who we studied the Bible with and got baptized. And we were rejoicing. This is awesome. You know, God is moving in CMU. And about three months later, they both fell away. And I was devastated. Because leading up to that, I, you know, in coming to the mission team, I, when I was in Philadelphia, my, the last Bible talk that I led had, the, like the, the month before I left, my one Bible talk, family group, whatever you call it, had five baptisms. And I was coming to Pittsburgh going like, Amen! God's going to use me powerfully. And we were out sharing our faith all day, and we would have good news sharing, and people would be talking about meeting this person, meeting that person, and all I felt like I was getting was rejection. And I felt like I couldn't, I literally couldn't pay anyone to study the Bible with me. And then when I did get into a Bible study, it felt like they would never, you know, be moved by the Spirit to become Christians. And so, when Doug and I found these two guys who became Christians, I was like, yes, finally! And then they fell away. I'll never forget, just, um, and I shared this, you know, with, with I, was, I can't remember who I was sharing with this recently. There was a day that I fell away where I was so discouraged. I went to midweek and I couldn't go to the midweek because I just felt like God is not with me. You ever feel like that? You're working hard and God just, where are you, God. And I, and anyway, I, I got built back up and I remember I got to find a place to pray. And the place I would pray is at the top of CMU's campus behind the library. Uh, there's a little grassy hill that goes up towards, I think, the golf course. And I would walk up that hill at night by myself and I would get down on my knees and I would pound the earth and rip the grass up, crying out to God, God, you brought me to Pittsburgh please move. God, you brought me to Pittsburgh. Why? What, what do you want me to learn? God, you brought me to Pittsburgh. You're being unfair. God, you brought me to Pittsburgh. Do you hate me? Beating the earth, ripping the ground apart. Please don't tell anybody that. <laughs> you know, I came down, down from those prayers and it's not like I met anybody that week or that month or that year. But you know, those prayer times changed me because I learned that it's not about me. It's not about me and me feeling like I need to be justified or validated because someone became a Christian. And God was teaching me a very, very valuable lesson that I have got to learn that he is enough. That he has got to be enough. 
The second prayer was not actually my prayer, but it was a prayer that changed my life forever. And that was when I was leading the Carnegie Mellon University ministry. Tamara was a student there. She graduated with with a master's degree from Carnegie Mellon. And we were doing what we call a Jericho like walk. And, you know, you would walk around campus for the first six days and pray. And then on the seventh day, you would walk around seven times. And uh, we were praying and we partnered up with different people within our campus ministry at CMU because we were really looking for God to move. And I'll never forget, tomorrow and I were prayed up, uh, partnered up one day and we were walking behind the library again. And it was tomorrow's turn to pray and she's praying and she's praying and I'm listening and then I hear her weeping and I'm, and I'm looking over and, I, and, I, and she's sobbing about the lost. Crying about her fellow students not being reconciled to God. And I just remember I had never seen anyone just cry over people they did not know like that. And that prayer stopped me in my tracks. And it was my turn to pray. And I remember I had to collect myself just because I was just so like, what is this? It was this whole level of compassion and love that I had never seen before. Because it was genuine. And after we finished our prayer, I remember walking home. um, Because I used to walk down, I think it was was Neville, not Neville Street. I don't remember the street between CMU and Fifth Avenue. I can't remember the name of the street. Anyway. I, I used to walk down and, and walk back, and I, I remember I was praying, and I was like, God, I don't know what that was, but I think I need that. Now, why that's important is one of the brothers about a year earlier was telling me, hey, you should pursue Tamara. And I was like, no, no way. No, she, she's, no. But it, it was her walk with God and her prayer that opened my eyes. You know, when singles, when you're looking for a, 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 a partner, is it is it their faith that you're looking at most, or is it because, or do you look at mostly how much they make you laugh? I'm not saying that being having someone who's not funny is is not a good thing. But what you're, I remember, never forget James Campbell, who led the mission team. You know, when I was a young Christian, you know, I I, I came into the kingdom and I was like, there are some. I didn't come in for this reason, but there were these incredibly spiritual women and I would get caught up and, wow, she's so awesome and spiritual. Wow, she's so awesome and spiritual. And James was like, bro, chill out, chill out, (laughs) chill out. He's like, you got to look for character. He said, you know, most people will change, but it's their character that's going to dictate how much they really change. And I, and I thought about that, and I coined, I coined this phrase that I now actually, when people are, when brothers or sisters are asking me about, you know, is this the one? I say, look for character. I said, because the character that you marry is the character that you will carry. So marry great character. For those who are still married, are you working on your character, your heart, your conviction, your faith? Or are you hoping that, man, if they would just change, we would be okay? What if they never change? What I learned about Tamara that day 
was that she had this character that was remarkable. And in the many years, the 24 years that we've been married, at times her character has carried me. Has carried my sons. We try not to be doing poorly spiritually at the same time. And we try to, try to carry each other. But it started with someone caring so much about other people. Then in their prayer, they shed tears. What are your prayers like? The third prayer that changed my life on CMU's campus again was sometime after um, the, these two guys fell away and I had those prayer times up, up on the mountain. I can't remember what the timing is, but I remember uh, it was a Friday night and back in the day, like it was you were trying desperately on Friday and Saturday to bring someone to church on Sunday. And that was just, that was normal. And I was on CMU's campus by myself just reaching out. And so I'm, I'm on campus and I'm reaching out and it's around 8 o'clock at night and I think there was something else going on that night and I'm trying to just get it in. Let me find someone. And I was there for about a half an hour, 45 minutes, and it wasn't going great. I was sort of chickening out at times. At other times, people were just being mean to me. And I was like, man. So I remember I went. Um, there are these steps that go down to the lower part of CMU where some of the research, secret research stuff is or whatever. You know, like they have aliens down there or something like that. I don't know. Well, by the way, how many CMU, are there any CMU students that are still here? Yeah! You're currently a student? Oh, that is so awesome. Here's why that's awesome, is uh, when I left CMU's campus in 2000, I prayed to God, and literally on my knees, that there would always be a disciple on that campus, and you are an answer to a prayer. Thank you. Amen. But anyway, so, anyway, so I'm sharing my faith, and it, it's not going well. So I go down, and, I'm, and I, didn't go, I didn't go down the steps, but I was by the steps, and I'm praying to God. I'm like, God, I'm here. Trying to do your will. But you got to help me out. I know I'm chickening out. But, but, your, but your spirit is greater. I know I prayed this prayer. But then I said, the next person that I meet has got to give me their number. They got to study the Bible right away. It was a thing that I was doing. I would, I would do spontaneous studies with people at CMU. I would just open up the Bible. Uh, there was a brother, David Newell, who now is in the Hartford Church. And we studied over a garbage can in the stu in student center. And he's faithful to this day. It, it works. It can work. Um, and so anyway, so they've got to give me their number, study the Bible right away. They've got to come to church this Sunday. They've got to study the Bible and get baptized within a month. They've got to be able to go, go into the full-time ministry and stay faithful forever. That was my prayer. And so... I went off and I'm walking down towards the library and I see someone and I completely check it out. And I was like, oh, that wasn't the person. It wasn't the person. It wasn't the person. So I'm walking towards the library and I go into the engineering building or whatever that building is to the right of it as you're walking towards the library. And I walk in and a student is coming out and we get into a conversation. Turns out that he's from uh, Singapore. We start talking about faith. He's Buddhist, but not really. I, I tell him about Jesus. I tell him about our fellowship. 
ask him if he's willing to come out to church. He says, yes. Can I get your number? He gives me his number. I said, I'll give you a call, set up a ride. And he starts to walk away. And I stop him. And I said, I said, stop. I said, you got to study the Bible with me right now. He's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, you've got to study the Bible with me right now. He's like, I got to go. And I said, no, no, give me five minutes. I'm begging you. Just, we got to study the Bible right now. I didn't tell him about my prayer. Like, you got to study the Bible right now. He agrees. We go into the library, the Hunt Library. We study the Bible for about 25 minutes. He goes off. He comes to, with, to, to church with me that Sunday. He begins to study the Bible that week. He gets baptized in about three and a half weeks. And then the semester ends, because this was in the spring. The semester ends. He goes back to Singapore, doesn't connect with the church, comes back and ghosts us. So I tell all the other members of the, of the CMU Bible Talk at that time, I said, if you see this brother, call me. And so someone spots him along campus. I get the call. And I run out to try to find him. I was like, bro, what are you doing? He's like, well, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And I'm like, I was like, are you crazy? I said, you asked a lot of questions. You made an informed decision. And he's like, well, I don't know. I said, well, just come to church this Sunday. And he comes to church this Sunday. We build him back up. And in about a year, when after Tamar and I started leading the entire campus ministry, he becomes the Bible talk leader for Carnegie Mellon University. Remember the prayer, go into the ministry, stay faithful forever. He goes back to Singapore after he graduates. He serves two years because it's mandatory in the military. It's mandatory in Singapore. After the two years, he's hired into the full-time ministry, leading singles ministry like I have been leading singles ministry. And um, he does this for many, many years. Two years ago, he was appointed the lead evangelist for the church in Singapore. His name is he, Pua He, and I see him at conferences, and every time I see him, he builds my faith. What are you praying for? How are you praying? It doesn't have to be elaborate. It was a simple prayer, but it was a specific prayer. You know, recently, um, so my habit re of, of, of late is I go out at night. Um, my mom is going through some really health challenges, and I, and, I, and I feel a lot of anxiety. And so I go out at night um, around 10 o'clock, and I, I do a prayer drive around the region that I serve in. And I pray for my mom, pray for myself, pray for my children, pray for my wife, pray for people in the membership. Uh, but there's one couple who, this woman had a pretty horrific fall last year, and, and, and it really hurt her. She really hurt her jaw. In doing re rehab for that, they discovered that she had a tumor in her brain. It wasn't, it's benign, but it's growing. And it really could kill her. And when she went to the doctor, she finally went in there and they said, well, we're probably going to get you in in 90 days, but it's really growing rapidly. So I talked to her husband and she said, we, could, we, we need to pray about this. Every night for weeks, I went out and I prayed that they would be able to get in early. This was about February like 17th or 18th. About a week later, he told me, hey, wait a minute. I've been able to ask, and we, we got in. And, and so she just had her surgery, I think, last week. And he said, can you pray for this when you're going out, that she doesn't have any memory loss, that she doesn't have any vision loss, and that her balance. He sent me a text a few, a few days after the surgery. He said, bro, 
She came out of the surgery. She's doing great. She had no memory loss. She had no hearing loss. And she said her balance has not been affected in a way, in any way. We were, and I'm not saying that's just me. It's collectively. What do you want the Pittsburgh church to be? Are you praying about that? Specifically, where is your place where you meet just with you and God? Sometimes we get so caught up in, we've got to organize the prayer time. We got, you and God. Prayer can change us and gives us eyes that, that seem crazy. You know, um, there's uh, seven years between my oldest son and my youngest son. And in between, we had four miscarriages. And I'll never forget, in working through all of the pain of that loss, um, just praying and thanking God and seeing God in a different way, that God is the one who is, creates life and takes it away. And, and he's the only one who can do whatever he wants with life. And we can't argue with it. You can argue with it, but God has the right to do whatever he wants. He is the, the artist. And so anyway, so just getting to that place in our, through prayer, that place in our minds. So 10 days after our youngest son was born, nine days, he had to have emergency surgery because his intestines were twisted and it could have killed him. But I'll never forget my wife and I sitting in the emergency room in, um, um, at Yale Medical Center. We were in Connecticut at this time. And we're laughing and joking. We're looking like, shouldn't we feel a little bit more nervous? And we didn't. We felt totally surrendered because we knew that if, even though that would be painful to lose our son, we, we, we had come to a place to revere God that he knew what he was doing and that somehow something good would come from it. And so therefore we could be surrendered. Are your prayers changing you? Are they helping you to be more at peace? Are you more friendly? Do you come into this fellowship filled, activated with the Holy Spirit, not just finding your place to give, but greeting people, giving your hearts to people because you want this to be a place that feels like family and you're not expecting someone else to do it, but because you're activating the Holy Spirit, you're doing it. You know, this isn't the only time that Jesus taught about prayer. Luke chapter 11, he taught them about prayer. In Luke chapter, uh, he, talked, he talked about persistence in prayer. But in this sermon, he stresses that prayer is designed to be seen by God, not by men. To be heard by God and not by men. And who knows better what kind of prayer we ought to pray than he who sits at the, at the right hand of God at this very moment. Brothers and sisters, let's embrace the power of prayer. And if you leave here, the couple that's driving away, hopefully you come back very often. But if you're gone for 17 years and you come back, may this room be doubled or tripled because the faith in this room, God saw and heard and moved. Amen.